airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And it's great to have Sherry B. back with us over in Studio CC. She's mm-hmm. gotten our guest on today. Our guest is Robert Oscar Lopez, um, the author of Wackos, Thugs, and Perverts, Clintonian Decadence in Academia. That's one of several books that he's authored. Uh, but we invited him on to have a conversation around one article Um, But as I was reading this article, I saw that there was another article that Bobby actually wrote um, just prior to to the one that we're going to kind of mainly focus on, Mm -hmm. um, asking the question, have our churches brought the Bostock disaster on themselves? And in this piece that he writes over at the stream, you can go there and read it for yourself. Um, His position is that we have been headed um, to where we are in the church long before the Supreme Court decision Mm. uh, or ruling, if you will, um, that that we basically cannot be authentic Christians. (laughs) I mean, that's basically like you can't tell the truth about Scripture. And (laughs) um, and so anyway, we'll have a conversation around that. But I I, kind of want to have Bobby start by reminding our listeners a little bit of his testimony and also what he suffered in academia uh, before he made the switch to teaching at um, a Baptist seminary <laughs> and then later suffered there. So, I mean, it's it's just kind of amazing. It it, it almost kind of writes like a book, um, which may be why he right. wrote about it. <laughs> um, anyways, Bobby, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure uh, to join you guys. Yes, I've been uh, reading my Bible every day, and of course the book of Job has really come to... Cheer oh, my spirits because I feel <laughs> a lot man. of identification there. Yeah, man, I'm telling you. You know, we had you on. I want to say back in December, um, where we were talking about um, just your ouster and how you have just really stood um, without fear on the word of God. And and I really believe it's one of those things where when you are forgiven much, you love much. And if you could share with our listeners just a little bit of your testimony. I think that as we get into this conversation, people will understand um, why you're so passionate about the things of God and protecting and contending for the faith. Well, one of the things I would start out by saying is I had established myself uh, as someone who didn't talk a lot about faith uh, in the public sphere and was just focused on my field of expertise. So I already had a, a scholarly book out about American literature I had a classics degree and a political science degree and an English degree. You know, I I was doing well as a scholar and as an academic. And uh, when I came forward and decided to share my testimony about what I had gone through, I did that at a time when I felt like God had delivered me from a lot of hardship and I needed now to share that with the world. 
Mm-hmm. So what had happened before I became an academic was I was raised in a gay home. I was sexually abused uh, as a young teenager, and you know I spent a lot of time in the gay community, both as someone who participated in things there and also just as somebody who was a friend and neighbor to everyone in the gay community. And I saw a lot of the suffering and the pain uh, that was in that community. I always felt that um, they had been lied to. I, I didn't really see the people who were in that scene as uh, purveyors of evil themselves in all cases. I, I just felt that society had given them a huge lie, and um, and they had been denied really the gospel that could help them to, to find true peace in their lives. And, and that's what I had found. I had found Jesus. I had married a woman. I had come out of it. I had really reestablished myself. I, I think that there are still long-lasting effects of that trauma, um, and I struggle with those. But uh, by and large, I, I was able to, to build a happy, prosperous life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was when I came forward with that story that uh, the people at Cal State Northridge uh, and, in general, everyone on the left and probably 50% of the people on the right just felt that my sharing my testimony meant that all of the work that I did in academia, all of the work that I did in multicultural literature, uh, it was worthless, and that all just vanished. And every time I tried to get back to my academic work, it would just I would be dragged back into people digging up everything about my my position on on LGBT and mm-hmm. the thing about it is I at different times wanted to walk away from the testimony but I always felt that God kept calling me back to it especially because I see now more than ever there are so many people who have been told these lies about the fact that you're born gay you can't change uh, this is who you are, and, and then the gaslighting of telling them that it's all in your head, that the sex itself is, is harmful or unhealthy. So I felt like I had to really speak out, um, and I did uh, lose tenure at California State University, Northridge, because I was just constantly under attack, and I came to a Baptist college, and I came there just <laughs> in time for the Southern Baptist Convention to be taken over mm. uh, by a camp of people who want to have a softer, gentler third way, and they want to accommodate the LGBT community, and so I became there also someone who was unacceptable to them, mm. and um, so I had to leave that job. Now, I, I, I take this very seriously because it, it's no longer really about me, it's no longer really about just the gay community or their issues. We can't function as a country, and we can definitely not function as Christians in this country if we don't acknowledge the fact that our free speech has been eroded and Mm -hmm. that our religious liberties have have been taken away from us, Mm -hmm. and if we don't do something to address it. Because the more that you take away people's religious freedom and their free speech, the more the people who have the wrong ideas about things just surround themselves with people who think the same way, Mm -hmm. and they get more and more extreme because there's no checks and balances on them. And so what I was fighting at the beginning with gay adoption back in 2012, that almost seems like, that doesn't that seem like an eternity ago? Now we're talking about six-year-olds, you know, having drag queens tell them to go get, you know, surgery. I mean, so to become the other gender. So Mm -hmm. this is what happens. You you take away people's liberty, you take away their ability to even just share the truth, and Mm -hmm. it gets more and more extreme. And 
this is not just LGBT, it's everything in society, I think, mm. is going in this direction towards um, a lack of free speech and, and real evil, you know? You know, this stuff is happening, it seems to be right under the church's nose, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you have things happening within the church that's going along with a lot of these agendas, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, CRT, critical race theory and all the Marxism, the different ideas. And so a lot of people like the, that that's within the church don't have a clue because it's like, oh, I see something changing, but I, I can't mm-hmm. really put my finger on what it is. I don't know how to address it with my leaders, but this is the way we're going. And it seems like at some point we have to say, man, things are being uh, uh, done right in front of our faces and we have to like, begin to speak out about it. Right. I think that one of the problems is that the the, the dilution of our theology within the Church mm. has been carried out by people, a mix of people. Some of them really, truly are just plants who have gotten mm. into the Church and the old Elmer, Elmer Gantry style. You know, they got in because they saw that there was money and political influence in it, and, and they have their own agenda. Mm-hmm. Others, I think, are people who are just... Um, you know, they're not sure whether they can make a career anywhere outside the church, and so their desire to support their career has really overshadowed the call to share the gospel. And this mm-hmm. is exactly what we see in the book of Revelations with the seven churches. Five of them don't pass the test, remember? Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the very beginning, only two mm-hmm. pass the test. And, you know, th- this shouldn't surprise us that the churches, uh, their their natural inclination is to become what Isaiah warned against, which is, you know, prophesying sweet illusions and tickling your your itchy ears, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to tell you what you want to hear. And so I think the problem is that there were a lot of church leaders, from, you know, and we're, this is, I, I've seen it for at least 12 to 15 years, who they figured out the ultimate scam, the ultimate scam, the ultimate way that they could enrich themselves to the maximum was to tell talk out of two sides of their mouth. So they would mm-hmm. tell the, the faithful in the pews, I'm fighting for you, I'm fighting against the LGBT movement, I am fighting for gospel truth. Um, keep on giving me your donations, keep on giving me your support, give me your airtime. And then they would go and they would tell the secular world, often behind the scenes, look, I'm working with the evangelical base, I'm <laughs> going to move them slowly, you know, just make sure your attack dogs don't attack me, give me some financial support behind mm-hmm. the scenes, and I, I can slowly move them towards a, a position that's going to be more pro-gay. Wow. And they mm-hmm. did that, and this is in, I saw this in the Anglican Church, I saw it, uh, definitely the Episcopalian Church, the Catholic Church, this was a major trend that happened. I've seen it in the Lutherans, the mm-hmm. Methodists, and now the Southern Baptists. So this is basically... The bad news that I have to give, and I'm going to try to give good news at some point <laughs> okay. before I, I say goodbye to you today, but the bad news is, is that this battle was lost a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. and, and one of the ways that that corrupt class of people pulled this off, talking out of both sides of their mouth, was they had a whole bunch of religious liberty uh, fights that they had that were really kind of, I hate to call it phony, but they were the wrong fights. So instead of defending me in California when I was being driven out of my job for my Christian beliefs, they fought for the right of Christian institutions to fire people for being gay. Do you know? So they're fighting with the corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even want to be signed up on that battle. I don't want to fire people because they're gay. I want, if somebody's gay, I want them to be able to minister to them and to, to help them. I want to have my freedom 
to speak the truth to them. I don't, you know, and, and so it was, uh, it was de- destined to fail because, of course, in America, you're not going to be able to defeat the left by saying, I'm fighting for my religious liberty, and my religious liberty is I want to be able to fire people for being gay. You know, it was, it was a really poorly uh, staged um, fight, and I, I think that and for a lot of people, they, they set it up that way um, to fail. So honestly. wait, let me, let, me, let me get some clarity on that, Bobby. So you see that almost as a precursor to where we are now in terms of Bostock, where we say we've got organizations, institutions, and employers right. who now have to violate their conscience and acknowledge something that if they have Christian conviction— that is, you know, antithetical to the faith. They have to acknowledge that. They have to kind of continue going along. You're saying that years ago when Mm -hmm. organizations were fighting for the right to conscience to say, I don't have to celebrate or endorse a certain lifestyle as a business or an organization, you're saying that 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 was that that kind of worked against our interests. I'm confused on that. Well, I don't think it necessarily worked against our interests. I think here's here's why it's so complicated. What, what the Bostock decision did was it just applied the entire Civil Rights Act to um, uh, LGBT. So this, we're not mm-hmm. just going to get um, the protection so that you can't fire people for being gay. We're going to get the sensitivity training, uh, the discrimination lawsuits, the harassment lawsuits, the retaliation lawsuits, all of those things that people use to, to force us to not be able to tell the truth, right? So that cases like mine are, are going to multiply, where you're driven out of a job because someone in the organization files a complaint against you uh, based on that lawsuit. So that's everything. Um, we, we just lost everything with the Bostock decision. But mm-hmm. I think the thing about it is that the way that we got to that loss was the cases that were put at the forefront were not cases like mine, where I was being driven out of my job for being Christian. We put at the forefront Christian organizations that wanted to fire people for being gay. And so I think that was the wrong focus. Do you see what I'm saying? I do, but I guess what what I what I'm not able to reconcile even as I'm listening and I, and I read this in the article as well, what I'm not able to reconcile is how one worked against the other. Why couldn't both of those have been put up? And we're coming up to a break here, so I'll 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 pose this question and then we'll maybe have to tackle it on the other side of this short break, but I'm wondering why both of those could not be undertaken by Christian organizations to say, we defend Christians being able to exercise their religion, meaning take it outside of the four walls of the church, but we also defend Christian organizations' right to employ those whose thoughts and beliefs are consistent with their own. So let's let's pick up here when we get back. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. On American Family Radio, we appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Donnie McClurkin with Stan. And our guest uh, this afternoon is Robert Oscar Lopez, and we're talking, among other things, we're talking about 
whether or not the church was complicit in um, sort of our arriving at the Equality Act without representation. I mean, that's that's what we have, right? Basically, with the Bostock decision mm-hmm. uh, coming from the Supreme Court. But um, Bobby has an interesting premise here, and it seems that um, he thinks that we need to take a look at the church um, for kind of like if you're going to point a finger for how we got here um, in, in the article that he has that is published over at the stream. You can go check it out. Um, he posits that really churches and Christian organizations and conservative organizations, and we'll get there as well, um, started behaving as if we already had a Bostock decision. So I want to continue um, as we head toward making that clear uh, in the discussion. But before we do, I want to back up to where we were before the break, because, Bobby, what you're saying is that Christian organizations who were fighting for religious liberty were maybe fighting at a different point on the battle line. And and I want to make sure I understand that because it seems that you're suggesting that instead of um, standing up for Christians who were being ousted in like the secular arena, Christian organizations, Christian entities were fighting for Christian organizations and entities to be able to hire and fire those whose views were consistent with their own stated beliefs. Am I, am I getting that wrong? Um, I think, well, yeah, I mean, that, I, I think that that's about it. And let me just try to clarify it. So I okay. can, okay. Maybe a little, it's, it's so complicated because a, a lot of what happens is, is when you get in the religious liberty argument, it's been run by lawyers and, um, they have, I think that they had a reading of, where the heart of the court system was going to go, um, and and they misread it. They thought that basically in the American court system, um, the favoritism towards free market decisions and the owners being able to make decisions without regard to regulation, they thought that that was really going to carry the day. So um, when they were confronted with a lot of cases of Christians being driven out of, driven out of secular organizations, or even in a lot of cases, religious organizations, um, I think what a lot of conservatives believed was we can't take on those fights because uh, the, the, the thing we have to defend is the free market. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to retreat into the places that we control, and we're going to protect the Christian organizations and make sure mm. that, that they okay. have all the rights that they can to fire and to hire. Because if I okay. get involved in Bobby Lopez's argument with California State University, I'm going to set a precedent that says that the, that the government can get involved in a dispute between an employer and an employee, and we don't want to do that. We want to protect the Christian organizations so that they can hire and fire who they want. And then what mm, that was okay. a misreading for two reasons. Number one, the Christian organizations were already infiltrated, I mean, like 10 years ago. And so they were already doing the left's dirty work in terms of firing people who were too strident about LGBT issues from within the organization. And the second one was that the courts ended up not being that loyal to the right of employers. Uh, in the end, uh, that was a miscalculation. Uh, Gorsuch, who was a darling of the uh, of the conservative movement, they thought yeah. that he would what? never uh, issue a ruling like that, oh, expanding boy. the power of the government to interfere in a decision between an employer and an employee. So uh, that that's how I would lay it out. I, I don't know if that helps a little bit, um, but that that's my understanding of it. Because no, I, it I, does. I often, that does help. Yeah, I often don't. I, I was often. 
um, just dumbfounded that there were so many people. I mean, I, I'm friends with Carol Swain and Anthony Ezelin. There's so many people that I know that I'm, I'm friends with who were driven out of their jobs. And I, I remember for so many of us, you know, you'd, you'd be on the phone with um, a leader in the conservative movement. I was on the phone with people in Congress, you know, saying, mm-hmm. can you do anything to help this wave of Christians being pushed out of their jobs? And the answer that we always got was, no, we can't do that because that would endanger the precedent that we side with the right of employers to do what they want. And so they would kind of tell us, the key is you need to go find a job with a Christian organization, and then we'll protect that organization, and that organization will protect you. And that ended up being a huge miscalculation. Yeah, no, that that does bring some clarification to the point that you're making. And and I I think it's a I think it's a clear point. I would argue um, with what I understand that both fights are valuable. I would argue that Christians. Okay, okay, And so just so that we're on on the same page and and I have to say and not to, you know, not to toot our own, own horn here at the American Family Association. I think that's why a lot of people have problems with some of the fights that we do get involved in because it's like, well, let those people do what they want to do. But I think what they don't understand is that sometimes you can be complicit in rolling back your own rights when you're quiet, when you're silent and you say, well, just let that institution do what it wants to do. But understanding that Christians have the right to take their convictions with them into the public square. They have the right to be respected in their various, you know, places of employment that they don't have to do those things that violate their conscience. I think that is an important conversation to have. And I'm I'm glad we kind of drilled down on that, Bobby, because I feel like I understand your position better. And I think we are on the same page when we say that both of those fights were critical. And it's sad if one of them was missed, as you're suggesting that it was. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to get into the thing where we're all having a circular firing squad, you know, definitely. Correct. I think everybody was fighting for a good cause, um, with the exception of some people who I think were maybe just corrupt and and were just out, you know, trying to advance themselves. But but yeah, I I, I think that we're we're on the same page. I think that it's, I guess that the core of it for me is I want the government and the courts to acknowledge that there is truth and there is wisdom Mm -hmm. in our position on these issues anyway. You know, yeah. and so it, it, it's reasonable cause for an organization that says that, um, you know, they're going to protect a certain type of sexual behavior that is good. Um, and, our, and our argument for why the biblical sexual model is better is a strong argument. It, it, it has biblical basis and it also can be proved scientifically. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. If, if the government could acknowledge that, then it would make sense that, yes, you're also protecting employers' right to make sound decisions about who works for them, and you're also protecting employees' right to make sound, truthful arguments without having to jeopardize their job. Yeah, no, that's good. So let's do this then. Um, let's turn our focus toward the church. You know, on this program, and, and you know this, Bobby, we've we've talked to you a number of times on various topics and, you know, things going on. The church's responsibility in particular is where the Addisons kind of come down. You know, mm-hmm. we, we look at what's happening in the culture. We look at what's happening in politics. We look at what's happening in conservative organizations. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that, hopefully, before our time is out. Um, But where we have the greatest concern is for the body of Christ to be contending for the faith and holding the line. And one of the reasons that I look at you as a champion in this regard is that you have been sounding the alarm and saying, hold on a second. We've got some enemies within 
And we must identify them. We must continue speaking out. And in fact, you got the axe for doing this. And so I want to look specifically at um, the SBC and the work that you were trying to do there um, with, I I guess it was at least what, two two years in a row that you had resolutions that you presented to um, the Southern Baptist Convention that were struck down. And the reason those resolutions were struck down, well, first, before we talk about why they were struck down, we should talk about what those resolutions were meant to do. Right. The first one was to protect um, Christians' right to engage in ex-gay therapy, any kind of ministry or counseling to help people get out of of homosexuality and build a heterosexual life if they wanted Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, You know, it's biblical. I had all the scriptural basis for it. I submitted that after seeing what had happened in the Church of England, because I was there at the Anglican Synod when the Church of England voted to ban um, ex-gay therapy, and much to the contrary of what had been publicly told to people in the Church. Uh, when they banned that, they didn't just ban electroshock therapy or some kind of outrageous abusive practice. They banned everything up to and including praying as, as a Church congregation to help someone be delivered out of um, homosexuality. So it was a major change in the theology, and that went against Scripture. So I had seen that, and I put, put that in as a resolution for the Southern Baptists, because I didn't want to see that repeated in the mm-hmm. SBC, but it was struck down. And then the, the one the following year, in 2019, I put in, in a resolution to protect whistleblowers, um, and my biggest concern was the sex abuse scandal, um, because I, and, and I had in the back of my mind the same sex abuse scandal, because I know that very often, um, you know, people are, they're the target of retaliation when they bring up any kind of sex abuse issue. But when you bring up same sex abuse, you're often a target of retaliation and nobody comes to your rescue, you know, because conservatives don't want you talking about it and liberals see you as a conservative, so they're not going to jump on that. Mm. So mm-hmm. I put that resolution in, and I said, you know, we should protect whistleblowers who discuss these issues from retaliation, um, from non- non-disclosure agreements, and from gentlemen's agreements, and that one was struck down. So those were the two, and I, so I, I, I was working within the system, and I was trying to, to play by the rules and do everything that I could. Uh, I really tried to be prayerful and obedient to the authorities that were above me. Uh, mm-hmm. when I put those two in. But I did fight quite publicly to try to get those resolutions through. Now, one of the things that you point to, and and hopefully people are, are trekking with us and following where we're going with this, because it comes to, I would say, a logical conclusion that where the churches ultimately have ended up is where we've been walking. It's the path that we've been walking in. The reason that these resolutions were um, struck down, if you will, is because of LGBTQIA plus lobbying that reached those in the high at the highest level of leadership within the SBC. And, you know, look, I know that people have issues, but when you have people like J.D. Greer who publicly call for the church to be allies with the LGBTQ community and, and you have to press for clarity, what does that mean? What are you calling for? Uh, it's not a stretch to say that we now have an SBC that seems to be moving in the direction that, no, we want to, um, you know, do things like practice pronoun hospitality. Another thing that and came I thought from he said be uh, advocates. Right. The advocates. Yeah, they, want, yeah. they want you to advocate for it. Yeah. And the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which is kind of part of the same circle that, that J.D. Greer 
uh, belongs to uh, in in one of the meetings, and I had it on tape recording. You know, one of in one of the meetings, the provost said that mm-hmm. that one of the main reasons he had doubts that I could continue working there constructively uh, was because the ERLC had told him bad things about me that that, mm-hmm. that I had a low. Yeah, they didn't like you. You yeah, were a problem. They didn't like me. So I mean, it it it's definitely clear, and it's so hard because they do a lot of these things in secret. You you don't know who's talking to who, and I don't want to be someone who's going around trying to, uh, you know, snoop around. It. But the problem is that we, we it's just all of these decisions seem to come out of nowhere. Why were my resolutions rejected? The reasons given were totally bizarre. Why am I fired? It, you know, they they tried so hard to to paint it so many different ways. Um, but it seems clear that the people at the top are sympathetic, at the very least. They're sympathetic to the LGBT story. They are not sympathetic to people who have been hurt by the LGBT community. See, that's the part of it. They, they show callousness to people who have been abused in the gay community. They don't even mm-hmm. want to acknowledge that. And that's millions of cases. That's at least more than the people who were abused by the Roman Catholic Church. It has to be. You know, wow. because you're talking about such a huge community, and it's so common for young people to be brought into the gay community and initiated at a young age when it's already a legally abusive um, act. You know, but the the people at the top of the SBC, they just don't want to acknowledge that. And that's where I think the prudishness that you often see in evangelical circles works against us, because... You know, anytime you try to draw their attention to the problems with LGBT, you know, the harms, the, the medical harms, the emotional harms, you know, all of these mm-hmm. things, so that they can see the people who've been hurt by it, well, you know, then they pull this thing on you like, well, we'll do Philippians 4-8. You should only think about good, excellent things. You shouldn't talk about things that are uh, going to make people uncomfortable. <laughs> and so then there's no way to reach them. They're unreachable, the people at the top. They're, they're, they're doubling down. On their attitude, which is that they're going to constantly publicly say that they uphold uh, the definition of marriage as between a man and a woman, and then meanwhile, all of these kind of secretive uh, decisions or unexplainable things that they're doing are clearing out all of the people who could possibly stand up in resistance at the moment that they decide they're basically going to just flip on the issue. Yes, which I think is yes, going to and come. so. And so, Bobby, and so let me just say, I see all of the things that you're describing and more that we're probably unaware of the, um, you know, behind the scenes discussions, the political maneuvering, not just political maneuvering within the denomination, but political maneuvering in the larger picture of politics. Uh, when we talk about Russell Moore and we, we talk about these alliances that get made. Um, I think what we're talking about is almost sort of like a forerunner to the type of conditioning that would be necessary for the church to buy into this whole hog. And so I think that's why the point that you're making about the church kind of ushering in the Bostock decision is is such an astute point and astute observation to make. Well, yeah, I my view is they've all, all of the major denominations have already functioned as if that decision were in place. This whole mm-hmm. thing about being able to expel students for being gay or employees for being gay, I have only seen that used in a really underhanded, corrupt way where they target people with accusations and rumors about that to get them to get rid of them because they have some other issue with them. And I, I, I was involved in some cases at Southwestern where I knew that one student in particular was not gay. I knew he was completely innocent of the charges, but I couldn't stop of you know this machine that was trying to drive him out. And I wanted to work with him to help him with what he was struggling with. 
But then there were other people. You know, you look like pe- people like Jonathan Merritt. I mean, he came out eventually, mm-hmm. or I, I don't know if he has come out or not. But you know, um, you know, he was the son of an SDC president, and some people who are in positions like that, they're often left alone, even when they're doing a lot of that activity. And so, again, all of this becomes political posturing. It's you yeah. go after a type of worldview. You're not actually going after a behavior. You're going after a worldview. Let me grab this break. We'll come right back. More with Robert Oscar Lopez. This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Please stay right there. Just give me Jesus. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Our brother, Robert Oscar Lopez, is on with us, and we're asking the question, did churches usher in the Bostock decision? Um, have we kind of been conditioned for this, preparing for this? Um, I, I, I agree with Bobby that it seems that uh, really what's been happening is that people have been, the church, I mean, members of the body of Christ, have been lowering their defenses, and so it shouldn't come as a surprise that we arrive here at Bostock. But the point that Bobby was making before we went to the break is that there, in my words here, there seems to have been um, a consistent and subtle purging of a worldview from our Christian institutions and organizations, right? Mm. So um, get rid of the people who adhere to biblical Christianity. In other words, Bobby, I mean, am I going too far to suggest that? Right. I think it's true. And I think part of this, came about because of the structure of the seminaries themselves. Uh, They always had a love-hate relationship with the secular academic system. You know, most divinity schools are housed in uh, basically secular campuses. So you have the Harvard Divinity School, the Yale Divinity School, the Duke Divinity School. Those divinity schools, which are very reputable and where people are going to get really broadly published, where the graduates of those programs are going to take the top jobs at a lot of the evangelical associations, etc., uh, those schools are places where a theology professor is going to be reviewed for tenure and promotion, first by the divinity dean and then by the administration of the whole university. So all of those divinity schools are just thoroughly secularized, even though they give people uh, an ordination degree, right? And so I think that these seminaries, um, like the one that I went to, for instance, they're encouraging their professors to go and to present at the conferences with people from that those secular associations and to publish with presses that are going to be reputable. So it, it's inevitable that all of that worldview from the secular world it just mm-hmm. thoroughly infused the seminaries. And so you combine that with denominational leaders who are really eager to get on NPR or CNN, and so they mm-hmm. want to have those contacts at the Washington Post and the Houston Chronicle, and you have a perfect storm. Mm. Yep, yep. You know, and I, and I think this comes down to, and you have another article. Let me, just, let me just pull that up so that I can get the title of that article in front of me. But you have another article that you wrote. It was published June 19th, also over at the stream, How Bad for Faithful Christians Are the Recent SCOTUS Rulings. 
And one of the things that you mentioned here, and I want us to talk about this because I, I really believe that Bible believing Christians need to understand what's at stake here. But this whole idea and this question of allies, right? And I think that whenever the body of Christ starts looking for allies, looking for people that we can kind of join with and say, well, we agree with them here, but we don't agree with them there. And that the moment that we start looking for allies is really the moment that we start to lose. It's the moment that we lose our distinction. It's the moment that we lose the clarity in our voice. And I think that that's what we've seen happening, not only in Christian institutions, and I want you to go here for a moment here, but also in conservative institutions mm-hmm. um, where Christians have thought historically that we found a home. And I'm speaking specifically here with the conservative institutions that would block um, faithful Christians, but say, you know what? Trans activists can come and be here. Uh, homosexual activists can come and be here, but true Bible believing Christians are not welcomed. Can we talk about that a little bit? Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to go very cautiously because I don't want to. You know, a lot of these people are our friends. <laughs> so right. No, it's be true. Um, you know, uh, but definitely. I mean, I know that working with Mass Resistance, which is a great organization um, headed up by Brian Kamaker, I know that there are many, many, many uh, mainstream conservative organizations like the kind that you're going to hear represented at, on MSNBC and on Fox, sort of nominally defending the Christian conservative position. A lot of conservative organizations uh, just won't let Mass Resistance anywhere near them. You know, and and they'll tell you, like, if you're working with them, uh, you know, we, we can't really give you a platform here because and when I ask them why and they say it's just bad for optics, it's a bad look for us, you know, they don't want to be associated with those mothers who are have the courage to, to line up outside of a library and say, no, it is wrong that you're having a drag queen show for mm-hmm. five-year-olds. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something that... 10 or 15 years ago, you would think that the conservative movement would embrace, and they would say, Let, let's support these women. These are the grassroots. These are the people that we mm-hmm. need to win elections and that, we, that we're supposed to be serving. But I think that a lot of the mainstream conservative organizations view those people as embarrassing, and I think a lot of them have headquarters in Washington, D.C., or other big metropolitan areas where you have a lot of these graduates from fancy schools that are living all around them in their neighborhood. And so what they end up doing is they end up leaning towards libertarians mm. yep. Yep. who are not really conservative. Mm-hmm. See, that's oh, the thing, man. and that yep. they've clouded that issue. So it, it, it's, it's really tough, and I think that Christians, um, you know, first they have to make sure that they educate themselves so that they, mm-hmm. you know, that they actually know what they're defending. They have to read the Bible a lot and, and really think about it. And unfortunately, they can't rely on celebrity theologians or celebrity pastors to walk them Come through on, because so many of them are confused, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they've got to be, you know, ready to to understand that we're kind of homeless in the political spectrum yep. right now. I don't yes. know where we. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh my I don't goodness. Know where we land. Yep. Yeah, no, this is, I mean, look, you're hitting on all cylinders here, Bobby. I mean, this is the kind of, this is, this is why we want to talk to you because this is the kind of conversation that we don't get to have because it makes so many people uncomfortable because Christians do not understand the God that we serve. And so we think we need these people. We think that we need to play footsies with the wicked in order to advance God's agenda. I mean, this, oh, this amen, could not. Amen. 
come on. You know, I, I'm like, wh- who, who is your Lord? Who is your God that he is so small that you need to make these alliances that you need to, okay, we'll give you this if you let us keep this and then we'll take this and you can have that where we are negotiating right. away what is foundational to our faith for political wins. Mm. This is where I say we have to get out. This is where I say we have to say, listen, The line is drawn in the sand for us. Christians did not draw this line in the sand. We're just standing on the Lord's side. The line has already been drawn in the sand. And this is where we're not willing to go with you as you propose to us ways to advance our positions politically. We have to say we desire faithfulness. Listen, we can win political elections and Christians are doing this. Okay, conservatives are doing this. We are winning elections and we have these little victories, but why do we see the culture continuing to shift and to decline? And I think it's not only because of these kinds of alliances that get made behind the scenes, but I think it's because we are witnessing the church be watered down Mm. in the position that she's supposed to have in the culture. Mm. Right. And you know what what I'm going to bring up, and I don't know if maybe this is a risky thing to say, but what I see is that when it was the issue of LGBT, these, a lot of these folks in the conservative organizations and in the Christian organizations, they said, well, you know what, it, it, there's not that many of them that are going to be no platform for being anti-LGBT, and those are kind of a fringe. So we'll just kind of let those go, and then we'll protect all these other uh, conservative voices. Mm, and then now you see oh with the nationwide protests where they have taken the racism issue, and they have really, really stretched it. You know what I'm saying? Um, oh, come on. And, uh, yeah. I mean, they've really, really stretched it where it, it started where we were we were all 100 percent of the country was behind, um, you know, the, the mourning George Floyd and outrage over mm-hmm. how he was killed. Mm-hmm. And then within three weeks, they're, they're setting fire to churches. Come you on. You know, and, and all of a sudden in the melee, you can't come out there and say, oh, well, you know, I'm pro-LGBT, but I just didn't want, I, I thought that I could defend my conservative position on all these other things. No, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> I'll go you a step I mean? further. Look, it's not even, it's not even just burning down churches. It's calling for gay reparations under the same banner that's saying they're, they're yelling out Black Lives Matter. It's like, what does that have to do with gay reparations? Well, it's because they were all under the same banner. It was all right. moving toward the same goals and the same objectives. And I'm, I'm telling you, the body of Christ, and, and this is where, you know, this is prayer. This is reading the word of God. The body of Christ has got to be in the position where we are used to being peculiar, that we are not like anybody else in culture if we are to stand in our day for Jesus Christ. Yes. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. And it's hard and it's lonely, but I, you know, I'll just get a little personal with y'all here. I, um, you know, it was terrifying to, to, to go through what I went through the last couple of years. And there was, I remember there was one real bad night in, in November, it was maybe two weeks before I got fired, where I was in my office and I fell to my knees and I really honestly believed at that moment that God hated me. I, I thought mm. I was not saved because I'm like, why wow. would God deliver? Why would I be so alone in the midst of all these people who call themselves Christians? I, I must have done something wrong. Why did I make God angry? And I mean, I was so in despair. And then I heard the the doorknob moving because my son was pulling at it. It was like late at night. He had woken up mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and I just felt like it was a sign from God saying, no, 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 Bobby, don't you just hang on, hang on. Okay, you're going to get through wow. this. 
Um, but wow. it, it is it is hard. It is really hard, but yep. you can do it, and you can do it. And you're right that, you know, once you get past that point of no return where it's like, you know, I don't care if I ever get a job at another such-and-such such place, uh, you know, or I don't care if I ever get published at this journal or that journal or that journal. You know, God told us that all of this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. This is what mm-hmm. Jesus said. He said, look at the lilies in the field. They don't spin and they don't toil, but they still are better dressed than Solomon was on his best day. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? So you, you mm-hmm. just you, you let tomorrow worry about itself. Obey God first, mm. and then he will provide. He will. He has for me in a way that I never could have foreseen. Mm. You know, he will yeah. provide a way. And, and, and when it feels really dark, as long as you're in obedience with God and you're good with Him, at the end of it all, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and you'll make it. So. You know, I, I think, man, to your point, and, and glory to God, I, I appreciate you sharing that, Bobby, because I, I, I think that to your point here, we almost are more comfortable being able to sort of hide under one particular denominational conviction where we don't have to know the Lord for ourselves. We don't have to search Him out in Scripture. We can say, well, this is what my church quote unquote teaches. But I think you make an excellent point when you're looking at five of the seven churches and looking at the Lord call out these churches. And and it reminds us that as we look at the great falling away, which this is foretold that this is what's going to happen. I mean, what did we think that was going to look like? I mean, did we believe that that was going to happen? And I think now that as we see churches and even denominations, I mean, huge chunks of the Christian community, if you will, sort of being revealed to not be genuine in their conviction and to not be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a time where we have the individual opportunity to dig in and, and to stand on the Lord's side. Yes, absolutely. No, it's good. It's good. That's why I always love calling into this show. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like a shot in the arm. It's just so, it's so yeah. great. The, the, every, everything you're saying is just so spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm borrowing from what you've written, though, here, Bobby. I'm I'm borrowing because, you know, when we when we look at the end times and we look at where we are, you know, there are right. things we like to we like to take the things that we like and the things that make us uncomfortable. We ignore it and wait for somebody else to teach something on it. But I think that the clarion call here is for Christians to hold the line. And you are among those who really I, I, were doing that. And I appreciate it. One other thing I want to say, and I know we only got maybe three or four minutes left here. But there is one point that you make in one of your articles where you say that um, Christian America, uh, if you will, is is occupied, that we are no longer living in the type of freedom that we thought we once had. Um, can you kind of elaborate on that just briefly here? Yeah, I think that America did really have a Christian thread that pulled everything together with, with all of its sins, all of its crimes, which, you know, I think we have to. Um, you know, make amends for. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, there, it, this was a Christian land, but I, I think, yes. you know, the Christian part of it is, is occupied. You know, it's just like when a colonizer would take a chunk of Asia or Africa or Latin America um, and they would install, um, you know, this kind of fake uh, bureaucracy at the top and they would recruit some people from the colonized folks and put them up as governor, um, but they were really puppets. That's kind of the, the way that we're living now um, wow. in, in Christian America. I, I mean, we're. Um, you know, we, we don't have the institutions or the levers of power that really represent us or that can fight for us. So it, it, it becomes something where we just, we have to uh, make our decisions in obedience to God. And I think that God will, do, I mean, he's going to 
come out with a victory for us. It's just we don't know what mm-hmm. it's going to look like, you know. That's right. Um, and and we just gotta uh, stick with it that way. But you know, I I, I really feel like we're oppressed. I mean, I hate to use that term because it sounds like I'm playing the victim, but I mean, I think that we, we're not we're not in control of the spaces that we're supposed to be Christian. You know, we've mm-hmm. lost those. And, um, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe we have to build something new. Maybe, maybe ultimately, you know, when you read the New Testament, it doesn't necessarily imply that we're going to all belong to some church that's as glorious as Solomon's temple. Maybe, you know, maybe he had a whole different picture in mind of what the body mm-hmm. of Christ was supposed to look like. It might mean that we have smaller groups and, and, and we don't have yes. a, a professional class whose business it is to run churches. Maybe mm. that's something in the future we have to consider. Mm, Bobby, man, I look, I that is something that is worth several conversations around because I, I think that you're on to something and I think the Lord is purifying the church and it's Amen. uncomfortable and it makes us a little bit anxious because we have been very comfortable. The church in the United States of America has been very comfortable. And now as we are being shaken, we're sort of like trying to get our bearings on. We're trying to figure out what does it look like now to live as a faithful Christian in 21st century America and the Holy Spirit and the word of God will make that very clear for us. Robert Oscar Lopez has been our guest today. Bobby, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you. We're out of time. We'll have Bobby again to unpack this and more. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.